Today on the Dominic Enyart Show, we are taking a break from our series on getting the canon of the Bible to discuss this most tragic recent shooting in Texas and what can we do as Christians in response to this crime epidemic. All that and more right here on the Dominic Enyart Show. Greetings to the brightest audience in the country and welcome to the Dominic Enyart Show. Yesterday, we began a series, the canon of the Bible, and how did we get the modern day canon of the Bible? And that is a really fascinating topic. But for right now, we are going to temporarily put that on hold. We will resume that, Lord willing, next week. I was intentionally not discussing the news because the news is always so dry and dull, especially in comparison to what we have in the Bible. But there's this big story with the school shooting, and although it's depressing and discouraging, it's important to discuss. There's been yet another school shooting, this time in Uvalde, Texas. It has left 21 dead 19 children and two adults. One shooter, he shot his grandma. She survived the attack, and then he proceeded to go shoot up Robb Elementary School. This is after he abandoned his car. It's currently believed uh, that the police have killed the shooter, so amen to that. Police said they believe he was acting alone, And he killed children from grades two through four. And the age of these children makes the crime all that more egregious. This has been the deadliest school shooting since Sandy Hook. And no one bats an eye. You know, I was preparing for today's show this morning. I was at a local coffee shop, you know, just overhearing conversations, people laughing and smiling and everyone going about their day. You know, the world goes on and nothing against these people. But, you know, it's there's so many shootings nowadays that you hardly even bat an eye, hardly even, you know, you I'll go ahead and make the point that we are all tired of hearing these killings are getting so common that we don't even think about these things for an hour before moving on with our lives. And, you know, if that, if an hour before, you know, just getting distracted by the next story and moving on. And we are so quick to forget about these mass killings because they're so common. And it it really is tragic. And, of course, whenever these shootings come up, the talking points are the same as always. The left goes crazy saying, ban all guns. The right goes crazy saying, arm all the teachers and abolish gun-free zones. And, of course, between those two options, the latter is the better But neither solution really gets to the heart of the issue, and that's what I want to talk about here today. And I'd like to take some time to reflect on the actual solutions that will actually solve our crime epidemic, and then some specific actions we can take as Christians to reduce crime, and so some specific things that we can do as believers 
I have no doubt I'll be pulling from Kigov's list of ways the church can respond to the crime epidemic. Uh, so I'll, I'll be pulling from that. But before talking about what the church can do, I'd like to discuss what the government should do, which would demolish the crime epidemic. The first thing, and if you've been a listener for a long time, y'all already know what I'm about to say. The first thing the government should do is reinstitute the death penalty. And before I explain this, I would like to reiterate a point we've been making here at KGov for decades, which that is the won't versus can't difference. Public policy should prioritize deterrence over inability. And human beings are almost infinitely creative. And thus, a government's top priority should be making it so that people will not commit crimes rather than so that they cannot commit crimes. You get that? So the left, they always point to countries where the gun crime statistics are way lower than the U.S. And they look at that and say, you know, hey, look, taking away guns, it works. And, you know, then what the conservatives do in response is they turn it around on them and show the, you know, the stabbing statistics or other murder statistics from those same countries. And those statistics are the same, if not higher than here in the U.S. And when you take away people's guns, they stab each other or they run people over with their cars. And the left, they always say it's absurd that criminals would run people over with their cars. And then what do you know? We get that black supremacist in uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin, a few months back who plowed his SUV through a parade. Then occasionally you'll get a liberal outside the fold who says, you know, we should also ban cars and knives. And uh, uh, of course, cars, it's well, <laughs> you can't ban cars. That's just a mute point, obviously. So it's it's not even worth responding to. But banning knives, it's like and they're trying to do that in some places in Europe. And it's like, OK, you're banning knives. Then some other another dude will hit someone over his head with a metal pipe. And what are you going to do then? Are you going to ban pipes? Are you going to ban metal pipes? And then eventually you'll get all the way down to how Cain killed Abel. You know, just find a rock or something in a field. And what are you going to do? Are you going to ban rocks? Well, you know, is uh, you, you can't ban rocks. If you want to try, I suppose, good luck with that. But no, you can't ban rocks or pipes or cars or even guns for that matter. That will not solve the problem because no matter what you do, Humanity is creative enough to figure out how to kill people and how to kill a lot of people. And so the way to stop crime is not by removing every tool humanly possible for someone to use to commit a crime. That is not the solution. Even uh, what the right says. I mean, I support some of their talking points like like arming teachers. Yeah, by, by all means. But it, even that is an idea focused on making it so criminals can't commit crimes, right? They show up to the school and the teacher kills them, so they can't commit the crime. But that is not the solution. The solution is not to make it so they can't commit crimes. The solution is to make it so criminals will not commit crimes. And I am suggesting the death penalty as the primary and first step in that. And so 
how does this make it so a criminal won't commit crime or, you know, mass shootings or what have you? And you might say, you know, well, criminals in mass shootings, a lot of the time, they shoot themselves when they're almost done. They commit suicide. So it's obvious they don't care about dying. So why do you think that the death penalty would be a deterrent? And to understand why, you have to understand the concept of broken window policing. It's also known as broken window theory. Sometimes it's called broken glass policing. And if you're familiar, the idea is super simple and super obvious. Essentially, human nature is to always be pushing the line on morality all the time, consistently, constantly pushing the line back just a little bit. And you can see this on the left. Take abortion, for example. At first, they wanted abortions to be safe, legal, and rare. That what, that's always what they chanted, right? Safe, legal, and rare. And then after they wanted it safe, legal, and rare, they said, oh, just for, you know, in the cases of rape and incest. Safe, legal, and rare in the cases of rape or incest. And then once they got that, they want to push the line just a bit more. Then they just, just want uh, safe, legal, rare, rape and incest, and or, you know, the first trimester. And then they get that, and then, oh, what do you know? Then we want the second trimester also. And by the way, we don't, now that it's in the second trimester, we don't want it to be rare anymore. And then, you know, once they get that, they want to push the line back even further. Another, another time, they want to push the line back more and more. And then they want, you know, Warren Hearn to be performing abortions in Boulder, through the third trimester up until, you know, even partial birth or post-birth abortion. And you get this whole shout your abortion crowd and, you know, they don't want it rare anymore. They're proud of their abortions. And so you start off with safe, legal and rare, and then you get to shout your abortion, be proud of yourself for killing your child. And so evil and wickedness, it always pushes the line back slowly, but surely consistently, constantly pushes the line back just bit by bit. And, you know, thieves and extortioners and murderers and people who commit fraud and the whole lot of them, they're all like this. They want to push the line back just a little bit, and they want to test the waters and see what can I get away with. And then, hey, guess what? I got away with that. I might also be able to get away with a little bit more, too. And so broken window policing, it simply notices that's how evil works, and broken window policing responds accordingly. And so it says, you know, we are going to draw the line in the sand at relatively unimportant crimes, such as breaking windows. And we are going to punish those who break those minor laws and prosecute them to the full extent of the law. And then when someone pushes the line in the sand or perhaps dares even to cross the line in the sand, well, first of all, they're punished. So that's, that's a good thing. But second of all, you drew the line in the sand like three miles back. So even when they cross the line, they're crossing and doing something significantly less harmful, way less harmful than if you had drawn the line in the sand, say, three feet back and they crossed that line. And this idea has been put into practice before. It was done in New York. And what happened? Well, the murder rate significantly dropped. And, you know, the crime rate all around, it significantly dropped. And 
when you enforce minor laws and you enforce them harshly, then major crimes happen significantly less. This is not rocket science. This is basic entry-level social science. And so, you know, when you get some drunk punk who breaks into a store and tries to steal a TV and he murders a worker in the process, what do the courts do in that situation? Well, they put him in jail for... They say, oh, you're going to jail for 60 years and, you know, 20 years later, he's out on good behavior. And so those courts, they're doing that. The courts doing that. They are largely responsible for all the mass shootings that happen after that, because the message the court is sending is, yeah, well, that's that's kind of bad, I guess. And, you know, uh, we'll put you in jail here for a bit and you can think you can think about what you've done. It's time out for adults, essentially. And then the same guy, he gets out 20 years later and he goes on to kill some more people. And then he goes right back to jail. And, you know, other criminals, they'll see that guy and think, wow, his lawyers, they got him out of that. They got him off with 20 years. So I think I I might be able to push the line a little bit here. See if I can kill a few more people, maybe, you know, rape someone. And I bet I could get away with it. That's, That's what ends up happening. When you are not strict with crime, the line gets pushed further and further back. And then what does that create? It creates a culture where people do not value human life. It creates a culture where people don't protect and care about the sanctity of life and a culture where people are consistently pushing the line back. And it's just accepted that criminals will push the line back and we will keep pulling the line further and further back. And... You know, when we live in a culture of death, we should not be surprised when people kill each other. And if you live in a culture that values life, the murder rate will drop significantly. People tend to sink to whatever level you will allow them to sink to. And so what is the solution? The solution is to raise the bar. And, you know, people people might might not make, make it up to the bar but they won't be as bad as if you just set the bar on the floor. And so, you know, have a swift and painful death penalty for murderers. That is a really good first step that the government can take to reducing and ending these mass shootings. And when you execute someone for uh, like someone who murders two people, for example, That makes the murder of 19 elementary schoolers that much more unthinkable, right? When you say, hey, no murder of any kind is acceptable, you do that and we're going to listen to what Jesus said in an eye for an eye and tooth for tooth, life for life. When you do that and you punish someone for the murder of two people, then the murder of 19 innocent children becomes all that much more unthinkable. You see what I'm saying? I'm saying it multiple times, hoping it might stick in your head. And so that's the first thing the government can do. Swift and painful executions. You know, gallows. Gallows would be great. Public gallows. And we can broadcast the executions on Fox News as a sign to criminals. Hey, if you're going to go around murdering people, your pathetic and miserable life will end in pain and suffering. And... Hey, that's a good first step. By the way, liberals tell me that I'm barbaric for saying that. And my response, typically, if a liberal tells me that, 
Honestly, I don't care. Honestly, it does not mean that much coming from them because they are the same people who dismember their babies in the womb in the name of women's rights. That's who's telling me I'm barbaric for wanting to execute murderers. They're telling me I'm barbaric and they're the same people who chop off their own children's body parts in the name of trans rights. They're the same people who give their kids Lupron to chemically castrate them their own children, and they are telling me I'm barbaric because I want to put murderers to death. So to be honest, I really don't care if you think that's barbaric. And so that is the best thing the government can do to start fighting these mass shootings. That is the best thing the government can do is to reinstitute swift, public, painful execution. And again, you can't make it so criminals cannot commit crimes. So instead, focus on making it so that criminals will not commit crimes. The next best thing the the government can do to combat these mass shootings, the first thing is to reinstitute the death penalty and not the not the pathetic death penalty that we have today where, you know, they go to jail for 30 years and then, oh, maybe they might end up on death row where they spend another five years on death row, but actually putting criminals to death when they deserve it. The next best thing the government can do to combat these mass shootings is to abolish abortion. That is the next best thing the government can do. Abolish abortion. You see, when we live in a culture of death where we celebrate dismembering the most innocent and precious among us, we are teaching criminals that life is not valuable and is not worth protecting. That's what we're teaching to criminals. If I were a secular person and I didn't believe in God or morality, I would look at abortion And I would think, well, the government is fine with people killing babies and babies. Well, they haven't even done anything. So I'm probably good to kill this guy who's, I'll be honest, he's been bothering me. He's been annoying me. He he cut in line in front of me. And so I I think I'll I'll kill him. If, If killing babies, if that is okay, and that is the standard, then killing people who are guilty of all sorts of things, such as annoying me, Killing babies is the standard, then killing that guy, that, that should be fine. And that is what, that's what we teach people. When we create a culture of death, we should not be surprised when people kill each other. And, you know, when you grow up in a world with death all around you, when you're constantly being bombarded with murder on all sides, you know, 3,000 innocent babies a day are being murdered in America. And... You grow up in a culture like that and you you think that's not going to have an effect on people? (sighs) So, yes, abolishing abortion is one of the best steps the government can take to resist these mass shootings. One of the next items I have on my list here to resist these mass shootings and to combat them is to strengthen families. And I have a, a few points that the government can do. And, you know, there was a famous social scientist. I don't recall his name off the top of my head, but he stated that the best factor in determining whether or not a child would grow up to be a criminal was whether or not his family ate dinner together. 
Wow, isn't that something, your family eating dinner together, that that has some impact on you becoming a criminal or not? Is that not mind-blowing? You know, if you're a kid and you are lucky enough to have a family where you eat dinner together, that means you're in one of the best demographics in terms of turning all right crime-wise. And, of course, liberals will they will fail to see the point on that 100% of the time. The point isn't that there's some magic in the food that gets generated by people being around food that makes you a better person. That's not the point. The point is that a family who eats together sticks together. And if you're in a family that sticks together, you are in a good spot. And the nuclear family, it's something really special. And, you know, it's God's design for humanity. So, of course, it's going to work. And it's no secret that having, you know, both a mother and a father is essential for children turning out well and not like falling into crime. That's no secret. And so there are a lot of things the government can do to strengthen the nuclear family. The first thing the government can do to strengthen the, the nuclear family is to start get rid of unemployment and social security benefits. That is one of the best things the government can do to strengthen families, which will reduce crime. And why is that? Why is that? Well, social security and unemployment have a really good way that they just, they have a really good knack of destroying families because all these socialist policies, what do they do? They end up making it so that families do not have to rely on one another, but rather they can rely on the government to support them. And when you rely on the government and not your family, it makes it so that you no longer are required by necessity to stick together. And then when you're not required to stick together, you know, what do you know? You don't stick together. It's not, it's not that mind blowing of a concept. The next thing the government could do to help strengthen families, which reduces crime, is to get rid of no-fault divorce. And marriage, marriage is the most fundamental contract which civilization is built on. Our godless society and our godless lawmakers and our godless leaders have diminished it so it is now the only contract which can be violated without any legal consequences and it is the most important contract which upholds the nuclear family and the nuclear family upholds the country it it supports the country the country is built on families and so the most important contract is the only one which you can violate without any legal consequences and it is absurd and so the best one of the best things the government can do to strengthen families and reduce crime is to get rid of no fault divorce the next thing the government can do to strengthen families and fight crime is to abolish pornography. Pornography is one thing that tears families apart. Pornography teaches husbands to cheat on their wives, to be sexually immoral, sexually promiscuous. And it is one of the major reasons that we have such a high divorce rate in the country. Also, children are exposed to pornography at uh, such a young age. I was looking at some studies. I think the average age that kids now view pornography, it's either six or eight. It's somewhere in that range, definitely. But you expect a six-year-old to have the wherewithal to not watch pornography? 
And to have the moral fortitude to resist that severe level of temptation. And then when uh, you have children who are raised on this notion that you can just watch naked women whenever you want, and they grow up doing that for their entire lives, you really expect them to be faithful to their wife later on in life when they grow up. When they grow up being exposed and watching thousands of women having sex, and that's just what they, they're raised on from the time they're six years old, you expect them at the, to turn out fine and to be faithful to a wife. Of course, that is not going to happen. And of course, that is going to destroy families and encourage crime. And so it's crucial that we abolish pornography outright. We don't we don't regulate pornography. We don't we don't try and keep it and work around it. No, we need to abolish pornography outright 100%. That is one of the best things the government can do to fight crime and to fight the crime epidemic. All right, the next thing the government can do to strengthen families and fight the crime epidemic is recriminalize homosexuality. Homosexuality, you know, all forms of sexual immorality, but homosexuality worse than most are dehumanizing and lead people to think and act as though they are just animals. And tolerance, you know, we, we tolerate homosexuality. It's a bogus uh, value and a bogus virtue since when we have to tolerate something, that thing, it's never its never good to tolerate something. If you're tolerating something, that is implying that it is a bad thing just on face value. So the government does not need to tolerate homosexuality. Also, there's just something innate about homosexuality that encourages murder. If you don't believe me, check out Kegov's list of gay mass murderers, and it is mind-blowing how many mass murderers there are, most famous of which Jeffrey Dahmer raped and murdered and ate 17 young men and boys. And the list of gay mass murderers is extensive and scary. And so abolishing homosexuality, criminalizing it, that is a great step the government could take to fighting this crime epidemic. Um, abolish the public school system, which teaches that we evolve from animals. That would be a great thing the government could do to fight the crime epidemic. When we teach our children that they are animals and that they evolve from monkeys, we shouldn't be surprised when they act like animals. If you want to know where you're going, you have to know where you've been. And knowing your history is so crucial to understanding what your future is going to look like. And if you think your your history is, oh, I'm just an animal, just billions of years of evolution, then you're going to behave like an animal. It's not rocket science. But then we are running out of time, and I did want to say some things the church can do to reduce crime, so you as a Christian. Number one, we can mock murderers. We should treat them with contempt and disgust. And as Trump said, we don't want to elevate them. Don't call them monsters because monsters makes make it makes them feel powerful. So call them call them a loser. And so that's a great thing we can do is mock murderers. And that's one one reason I think public execution is really good, where you can go to you know a public execution and mock a murderer. I feel like that is healthy for society. 
we can oppose evolution and this idea that we come from animals and that we are animals. And by the way, that is why it is so crucial what Fred Williams is doing with Real Science Radio. And you should check out those if you only join for the Monday through Wednesday shows. I recommend you also check out Real Science Radio with Fred Williams. So critical. We can fight sexual immorality. We can teach our families to be pure and to be chaste. We can fight abortion. That's a great thing, and that leads to so many other conversations of morality. We can fight suicide. We can say, hey, you know, like all this physician-assisted suicide is so common today. That is not acceptable. We can make a large effort to not put filth into our minds. You know, we have to be careful with the media we consume, you know, gory video games and movies. And I'm not one who thinks that if you watch, you know, some movie with some violence in it that you're going to turn around and go start killing people. But the mind is a powerful place and what you feed it can affect you in a powerful way. So you should be careful and you should know your boundaries of, you know, what is acceptable to put into my mind. How is this going to affect me? How much can I put into my mind? And so to be careful about that, we have to fight the sin in our own lives. When there's all this sin out in the world, it is really easy to look out and say, here's all the things the world is doing wrong and, you know, hope that they change it. But at the end of the day, you really only have power over yourself and, you know, in some cases, your children. And so, you know, do what you can to resist sin in your own life. And that is a great step that you can take. Another thing we can do is we can resist the idea that we shouldn't judge. Of course, we should judge others and we should condemn others for their sin. And we should condemn others for their minor sins and judge them for that. And, you know, it's kind of like the broken glass policing thing in a much lesser sense that when we condemn lesser sins, people will feel like they have to defend those and, you know, not not go into these deeper more severe sins. And uh, the next thing we can do is don't forgive everyone. We forgive people when they are repentant. That is something we can do. And I think uh, on Memorial Day, we're playing an old episode from Theology Thursday from Bob and Yurt Live, and he's talking about that. Don't forgive everyone. You forgive people when they repent. And also you do not forgive someone who has hurt a third party because you cannot forgive someone on that third party's behalf. You can forgive someone to the extent that they have hurt you, but you cannot forgive someone to the extent they have hurt your neighbor. Last thing you can do is homeschool and get your kids out of the public schools. And that's great, A, because it protects your kids, obviously, because they won't be shot in a school shooting. It protects your kids from this secular ideology, protects them from the idea that they evolve from animals. And, you know, it also warns other parents, hey, I think public schools are dangerous, so I'm willing to make a dramatic change to my life to stop my children from going to public schools. And then the very best thing you can do to reduce crime and improve national security all around, the very best thing you can do as a Christian is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to lead as many people to the Lord as you can, and that will reduce 
crime. Hey, that is going to do it for me here today. I am excited to see you guys next week. Hopefully we can get back into talking about the canon of the Bible. That should be a lot of fun. If you enjoy the shows here from KGov.com, Bob Enyart Live, The Dominic Enyart Show, Theology Thursday, and Real Science Radio with Fred Williams, consider going to KGov.com, KGOV.com, clicking on the store, making a donation, purchasing a product. That would go such a long way to helping us stay on the air. Perhaps you could even sponsor a show. Um, that is going to do it for me here today. This is Dominic and you're reminding you to do right and risk the consequences.